If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 27 through 38 in just a little bit. But what I wanted to do was to um, set up what I want to share with you this morning. This morning, as we look through the Christmas season, I want us to focus on uh, things that we need to do to make sure that Jesus is center of Christmas. So today, what I want to share with you is sharing Jesus with the world this Christmas. For us to get an idea of what uh, that means and how I'm going to tie this together, I want you to watch this video with me. The gospel has not flowed yet because of geography, because of distance. We have certain stories in the New Testament, like the parable of the lost sheep, where you leave 99 to go find the one. And so God doesn't forsake that one lost sheep. You have these small micro-people groups where the gospel has not flowed yet because of geography, because of distance, because of cost, because of uh, culture, because of racism. I really feel that these micro-peoples are part of his heart to go after all the sheep, to go after that remnant. In the Amazon, you can go a day without seeing another living soul, which is kind of freaky. But a lot of the reason why you can't see people is because they're hidden. These are hidden peoples, small in population, widely dispersed. They have centuries of a bloody history where they've been exploited. They're animists. They believe in spirits. When you live that way, you tend to be dominated by fear. I see marginalized people, I see forgotten people, I see invisible people that are in desperate need of the gospel. The area is massive, and so to get from where I live, which is already a jungle city, I have to get into a land plane and fly to another port city, and then the next day we'd get in a boat, and in this slow boat we travel sometimes three days to get to where we're going. Because we're going into areas where the gospel's not, sometimes it just takes time. But recently we have noticed just God opening some doors. God has been working to send out missionaries, indigenous men and women, where there's no evangelical presence. A well-trained and called indigenous man will be much more effective. They tend to be able to get into hard reach areas without government restrictions. You have fewer language limitations. A lot of my work is training them. So if I want to teach an indigenous man how to do story, he has to see me do it first. Then after a while of walking alongside, he's very capable at that point. One partner in particular, he wants to go work with a group that has killed outsiders that have walked in. He's like, I don't care. God sent me to go do it. And this is such a, a 180 from most indigenous culture that you have to look at him and say, God brought this change to this man. You see families coming to Christ. You do see village headmans giving permission to come in. It really confirms everything that we're out there to do, to go out and make disciples of all nations. When we have those things happen, we sit back and go, okay, this is what it's all about. They can go and they can teach others, and those people can teach others. I want to see this momentum like a wave through the jungle where I can say, look, I didn't see it happen. I wasn't there, but I know the gospel has reached these dark corners. When supporters of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering gives, it allows us to do things like buy an outboard motor that gets us upriver, to get equipment that we need to help us stay out there in the jungle. I've been supported by Lottie Moon. Y'all's generosity is, is a luxury that I never want to take for granted. So I want to say thank you for that. God is faithful in the hard times as He is in the good times, and our mandate doesn't change. These people groups in the jungle, you could be born, live, and die without ever hearing the name of our Savior. So someone has to go, because if we don't go, no one's going to go. If we don't train people to go, no one's going to go. It's worth it. to be engaged by the gospel. Add that to the billions of people who in spite of belonging to people groups which have been reached have still not heard the gospel and take the, and the task making sure of everyone has at least one chance to hear the gospel seems overwhelming. 
Now when we talk about missions, we're not only talking about winning people to Christ, but we're talking about winning them with a specific context. So before we read our story today, let me just explain. The difference between missions and evangelism is as follows. We have a slight difference in definition of evangelism than we do missions because they are two distinct things. Evangelism is when we are reaching people who can, will, and should come to our church. And missions is when we are reaching people who cannot, will not, or should not come to our church because of location. Thus, when we are visiting those that have been attending our services, we are able to lead one of them to Christ. That's what we call evangelism. They can and will and should come to our church as a part of our community. On the other hand, when uh, we are in Kenya, Korea, or Cambodia, or wherever it is that the Lord leads us on missions, they cannot and will not and should not be expected to come to our church. That's called missions. But in both cases, we are attempting to lead people into the faith of Jesus Christ. It's just that in one case, we disciple them into the fellowship of the body of Christ in our local church. And the other is that we disciple them from afar. Our Lord Jesus, our Savior, was the first New Testament evangelist and missionary. He left his home, became one of the, uh, us and dwelt among us. As a foreign culture so that he might share the message of the hope of Jesus Christ and the God who sent him. He came into our, our culture and into our world to share the Father's love. But even while he was here, he demonstrated a desire to reach people outside of his own cultural boundaries. As our text this morning will demonstrate, Jesus was the first of the missionaries to cross cultural barriers and to remind us that we should not just be trying to reach people that talk like us, look like us, or belong to us, but that we should be reaching the entire world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I am proud to be a Southern Baptist. When I was deciding where I would serve the Lord Many, many years ago, I looked at many denominations. I chose Southern Baptist because of two reasons. One, because at that very time, Southern Baptists were the ones that were standing the closest to what this book said and how we should live for Jesus Christ. And the second had to do with missions. It had to do with the fact that, that what we could not do alone, we did together. We cooperatively sent our money to, to do missions around the world where I could not go, where you could not go. We are going because of Southern Baptist. I am proud to be called a Southern Baptist church. I am proud that our church still claims to be Southern Baptist. When so many churches today have, have abandoned the name Southern Baptist because of some of the, the distaste towards it, I am proud that we are still called Southern Baptist because we stand for missions and we believe this book to be the truth. And it is the guide unto our life. It is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. Its words are true and will be forevermore. Our Lord and Savior who, who come to cross-cultural boundaries tells us that we must do the same. So if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to look with me as we're going to stand and honor the reading of the Word. John chapter 4, verses 27 through 38. And for those of you that are at home, it will be on the screen for you if you don't have your Scripture handy, which I can't imagine why you wouldn't. But there you go. Uh, and, and John's Gospel, chapter 24, we're going to read a familiar story that we've heard many, many times, but I want us to look at it from the point of Christmas. The woman 
then left her water pot. Oh, sorry, back up. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with this woman. Yet no man said, What seeketh thou, or why talketh thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the man, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. And in the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that thou knowest not of. Therefore saith his disciples one to another, Has any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not, yea, that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, and that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is the saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, that wherein you bestowed no labor, other men labored, and you have entered into their labor. Father, we ask that as we look to the story of the woman at the well, we ask that, Father, that you would paint a picture for us as to we look to see how that we can take Jesus, share Jesus with others this Christmas. Lord, I pray that you would move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross, that it not be my words, but your words proclaimed today. And may the glory of the Lord be that we want to go out of this place and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the Christmas season. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you loved us enough to send Jesus to come and to show us how to do what you've left us to do here, even these 2,000 plus years later. Father, until Jesus comes, may we be about your work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. If we uh, were to begin in verse 1, we would see where the Pharisees had become increasingly... agnostic against Jesus and his ministry. Verse 4 tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, uh, we, we buzz over that, but there's, there, there's something there that we need to recognize, that he must go. It, it, he was forced by the Jewish religious leaders, but he knew that there was an, a meeting there that must take place. Samaria was wedged between Judah and the, and the south and Galilee in the north. It was the place where the northern kingdoms of Israel had once been. But in 722 B.C., the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, uh, uh, intermingling with the people of the Jews, and the Assyrians uh, uh, then um, creating a new group of Jews called uh, the Samaritans. In the time of Christ, there was a great animosity between the Jews and Samaritans. And by the way, there still is even today. The Jews looked down upon the Samaritans as religious apostates who had been mixed their worship with the one true God with the idols of the Assyrians. Thus, when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, do you remember who the hero of the story was? It wasn't the Jews. It was the Samaritan. And, and, and we look at that as uh, uh, those who look down morally and, and, and religiously upon them, but Jesus lifted them up. But when we find Jesus on his way out of Judea to Galilee, the scripture tells us that he must go through Samaria. About midday, he, Jesus stops in the city of Sychar, Uh, by Jacob's well, and Jesus stays at the well while his disciples go into town uh, to find some food to eat. It is here that Jesus meets the Samaritan woman whom we know as the woman at the well. Jesus breaks several cultural barriers in talking to this woman. He talks to a woman in public, something no self-respecting Jewish man would ever do. And he talks to the Samaritans, something no Jew wanted to do. During the course of his discussion, Jesus tells this woman all about her life. And he reveals to her that he, in fact, is the long-awaited Messiah. He offers her living water or salvation. 
And then as he is sharing the, the gospel with her, the disciples return, giving the woman opportunity to leave the well, leaving her pot behind, but running into the city to tell others what Jesus had told her about her life. Surely this must be the Messiah. Now, the disciples are amazed, as we oftentimes are, amazed at our missionaries and what they can accomplish and what they do and who they reach out to and who they work with. First of all, that their teacher would lower himself to speak to a woman in public. Furthermore, that he would choose to speak to a Samaritan it is here that we pick up our text and here that I want to give you what I want to share with you this morning from our text. It reveals four things that God gives to us about how that we are to introduce others to, to uh, faith in Christ. Folks, we need to recognize that Christmas is perhaps one of the easiest times of year to share the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family. It is one of the greatest times of year that opens up the door of opportunity to share what Jesus has done from us, for us from the cradle to the cross. So I want to share with you four things very quickly today as we spend our time together. First of all, we find that it is a sustaining and fulfilling work. My friends, I want you to understand that Jesus makes it very clear that pre uh, preparing and, pre and sharing the gospel is both a sustaining and a fulfilling work that every believer should be involved in. I don't know about you, but every time that I read the gospels and I look at the life of the disciples, I get more and more convinced that these guys... Uh, up until the resurrection, until the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus in a new life, I, I really believe that these guys walk around scratching their head going, we don't understand this guy. He's supposed to be the Messiah. He's supposed to be the Savior uh, of the Jews. He's supposed to be the, 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 the up and rising king who's going to take over the world. But he's doing nothing that we expect a Messiah to do. I really believe that they oftentimes are wondering, Jesus, we're not sure if we can figure you out. Amen. I think many of us today are still looking and saying, I wonder if I can figure out Jesus. You know, the problem is that we need the help of the Holy Spirit in order for us to be able to know the, the things of God. He just didn't do things the way that the Messiah would do according to the Jewish ideology. But... They still love him. They're still concerned about him. And they say, Jesus, we brought you back lunch. We stopped at the local McDonald's and we brought you back a Big Mac. You have lunch. And Jesus looks at them and says, boys, I don't need your food. I've got food that you know not of, but I hope that you will one day understand. He says, I am sustained and fulfilled in what I am doing. And as Jesus is telling his disciples, they're questioning who brought him food. When did they feed him? This opens the door for Jesus to explain to you and to I, giving us an insight into the sustaining and fulfilling nature of sharing the gospel and winning souls for Christ. No doubt Jesus was referring to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, which says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Jesus was telling his disciples, and he is telling you and I this morning, that physical food may sustain you for a while, but I can guarantee I've been around my grandkids 20 minutes after they eat, they're hungry again. Okay, And most of you, every couple of hours, you grow, my belly's grumbling, I need to sit down and eat something again. But here we see that the Bible tells us that Jesus himself says there is a food that is more sustaining and more lasting than that which you can get at the dinner table. Jesus was living on a plane that his disciples had yet to discover, and many of us are still struggling to discover for ourselves today. A plane, many Christians need to find a, an area that we need to be about. 
Jesus was living in a spiritual realm where the greatest satisfaction he could experience was to do the work of the Father which had sent him, to do the will of the Father who had given him a role to play in saving the lost. One of the reasons so many Christians are plateaued in their spiritual life today is that they have never discovered the secret of being used by God uh, and to accomplish His work in our lives. God created us to be relational. I know that's why we're struggling so much with all the restrictions of the COVID because we're relational people. We can't hug. We can't shake hands. We can't do the things that we need to do to create relationship. And church, I want us to make sure that when this, all of this goes away, that we go back to loving every person that walks through those doors. We're a relational person, people. And we need to be in fellowship with the Father, and we need to be in fellowship one with another. And what separates our fellowship? We've talked about it the last couple of weeks. It is a sin which separates man from God and man from fellowship with man. God's plan is that we to be in fellowship with Him so that we will be able to relate to others, thereby bringing them into relationship with the Savior. Folks, we're created to participate. Did you hear me? Not just to sit on the sidelines until eternity, but we are called to participate in eternity. And it doesn't begin after you take your last breath. It begins the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You see, the Bible tells us that God created us to be His messengers, His vessel, His temple, which is the place where the Spirit of God is supposed to live. If we spend uh, the, the substance of our days pursuing the lesser things of this world, things which can only satisfy our physical nature and never satisfy the longing of our eternal nature in Christ, we grow physically strong externally, but we dry up and die spiritually on the inside. Jesus said, what does it gain a man to, to gain the whole world and yet lose his very soul? He spoke to, the, to the, the religious leaders and said to them, you, you, you look good on the outside, you're, you're, you're religious on the outside, but you're, you're like a whitewashed tomb, you're full of dead men's bones. Jesus was explaining to his disciples that being in fellowship with the Father and accomplishing the work means that, that doing these things which satisfy more deeply than any food that we will get in our earthly world for those who follow Jesus, that which satisfies the deepest longings of our soul, that which we will bring us to the fulfillment is a sense of completion, is to be used of God and to specifically be used of God to share the gospel with others around the world. If you've never led anyone to Christ, if you've never shared the gospel, if you've never had the joy of telling somebody what Jesus has done for you and saving you from your sin, you're missing one of the greatest blessings apart from your own salvation that humans can experience this side of eternity. If you've never led one to Christ, I encourage you, share the gospel. And watch what it does to those that you share it with and what it does for you as you share it. Jesus wants you and me to be the same, have the same kind of spiritual food that He had. He wants us to nourish, uh, be nourished even as He was. That we might say that there is just a fullness about me that cannot come from the things of this world. No matter how good a cook my wife is, she cannot sustain me the way that doing the will of God can. We get to that by doing His will, by doing the will of the Father and accomplishing the work that He has sent us to do to share the gospel of Jesus with those that are lost. Earlier this year, we took the time to put names upon this cross to remind us of people that we needed to pray for this year that we would want to see come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. My friends, I hope that you are still praying for that one 
that they might come to know Jesus, and that you might use this Christmas opportunity to reach out to them and share the gospel with them. Let it be your first experience. Let it be your first attempt. Don't worry, it's not about what you do. It's about what God does with the gospel. All we have to do is share it. Jesus is explaining to us, go and share and I will fill you to the brim. And the second thing that he reminds us of is not only is it sustaining and fulfilling, it is also an urgent work. The Bible tells us in verse 35 that there is an urgency about this. Immediately, Jesus looks up from his disciples and he looks across the field leading into the city of Sychar. And he sees a large crowd of people coming from the village. The scripture tells us in verse 30 that after the woman went back into the village and told all of them, they came to see this Messiah, this Jesus, who had told this woman all the things of her life. As Jesus sees them, he turns his attention to his disciples, not to the grain, to the, to the fields flowing uh, with wheat, but to the field of souls which was making their way towards Jesus. He wanted them to look at the field, and he came back to the work, to the souls of men and women and boys and girls. As Jesus directs their attention to the field of souls, he stresses with urgency, sharing the gospel is so important. He says, do not say that there are four months till the harvest. Lift up your eyes and look onto the fields, for they are white unto the harvest. What Jesus is saying is, it's real easy for us to say, I will call them tomorrow. I will go visit them tomorrow. I'll tell them about Jesus tomorrow. But tomorrow may not come for them, and it may not come for you. There is an urgency about sharing the gospel. Today, Paul says, is the day of salvation. For today is the only day that we've been given assurance of. My friends, there's an urgency that Jesus says, don't say there is time. I believe the church of Jesus Christ has said, Jesus hasn't come in 2,000 years. There's plenty of time to reach the lost. Perhaps I should have looked up the number of how many people die every day without Jesus Christ in their life. Because the church has said, we got time to wait to share the gospel. We need to understand that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. There is an urgency about it. Look at the people that are needing Jesus right now. Not someday, not when you get a chance, but right now. One of the reasons we don't see more people saved. One of the reasons we don't baptize more people. One of the reasons we don't see the kingdom of God literally explode all around us is not that the Holy Spirit is not working. It is that the church is not working. We are not seeing the lostness of the people around us. We're not seeing the whiteness of the harvest. We're not seeing the urgency before us. Oh, that God would cause us to lift up our eyes. Oh, that God would cause us to look away from the things that enchant us. Take our eyes off the lesser things and complete uh, for the affections of our life that ensnare us and cause us to miss the urgency of the gospel. Look unto the mission fields. Look unto the harvest, for the fields are white unto harvest. Oh, that we should see the urgency. Oh, that we should sense as we hear the voice of Jesus, as he pleads with his disciples and pleads with you and I as his disciples today, get up and get out and reach people for Christ. We who claim to be his followers would indeed follow him, doing what he did, caring for those that he cares for, seeking for those who are lost. Lift up our eyes. The fields are white all around us. Look around you at those who need to be saved, at those who have never heard, at those who are waiting for hope, for life, for freedom from the bondage of false religions. The world is filled with people just waiting for someone 
anyone, God's people, to tell them that God loves them and has a plan for their lives to give them eternal life before their life ends. Watch this next video, and may your heart be stirred to recognize the need of the urgency. Here in Thailand, there are so many people who don't know God, and no one they know knows God. Thai people have a desperate desire to get rid of the sin that they know they have. They're, they're going to the temples and they're taking money and gold and flowers and anything they can do that they think is good that might erase the sin that they know that is inside them. Am I calling to be a doctor and calling to be a missionary came on the same day. When a missionary came and spoke at our church, he said the line, the saddest thing I've seen after 35 years on the mission field is children sick and dying because there's no doctor to care for them. And it was a like a lightning bolt through my soul. And I said, okay, God, I'll be a medical missionary. Our ministry here takes mobile clinics all over the country of Thailand. Church planners call me up and say, I'm trying to start a new church where there's never been one, would you come and help me? Medicine is just a means for me to share the gospel with those who have no other access. When I talk about how to take care of their physical needs, it's just so easy for them to see when I start talking about their soul that they need a savior as well. And American churches have partnered with me in that. And they have sent me short-term mission teams that come with me for about a week every month. And we go out and do mobile clinics all over the country. Without the churches coming along, I cannot do what I do. In general, people here do not like talking about spiritual things. But on mobile clinic, we can talk to 100 people in a day, 200 people, 300 people in a day that will come to mobile clinic and there we can share Christ with so many people at one time. It makes Mobile Clinic a great avenue for sharing the gospel. The point of Mobile Clinics is to start churches, groups of Thai believers that will go on to grow people in their new faith, to disciple them in their understanding of who Christ is, and to grow them together into groups that will become churches. There's a lot of things that money can't buy. Being able to be here, and see God praised where he has never been praised before. That is a dear joy. Seeing souls saved in areas where no one has ever known God before. Watching them grow in their faith and lead others to faith. And watching them grow together into churches. Seeing churches start where no one has ever worshiped God before. Money can't buy that. The next thing that Jesus reminds us of is found in verses 36 through 38. It is a shared work. Missions is not a work that one person can do alone. Even as Jesus called his disciples to see the readiness of the harvest and to join him in the work, he is calling upon us to join him and to join one another in sharing the good news of the gospel. So often we are tempted to believe that soul winning is something that we must do individually. When in reality it is a joint effort, a shared work among those who are followers of Christ. Many of us remember the countless evangelistic crusades of Billy Graham. Thousands of people would pack the large stadiums in great cities across the, the world. And Billy Graham would preach the gospel. And then there would be great music and a large choir. And one thing most of all, we'll never forget is the way that Billy Graham gave the invitation. As he invited people to come to make a public decision for Christ, thousands of people would pour out of the stadium seats and crowd around the platform of the stadium field. To be unaware, uh, observer, it would appear that if Billy Graham was solely responsible for leading thousands of people to Christ, those who understood what 
Jesus is teaching here in John chapter 4. Realize that many people who made professions of faith at Billy Graham's crusades did not do so without the results of family members and co-workers and friends who prayed for them for years as a result of a godly neighbor who was faithful to love them and to share the gospel with them. While Billy Graham may have reaped the harvest, others were the sowers of the seeds. It was their joint efforts which saw these people come to know Christ as Savior. We have become so accustomed to thinking that the one who reaps the harvest is the one who really wins the souls of men to Christ. But Jesus makes it clear whether we are sowing or whether we are reaping, we are still a partaker in the work and will be the recipients of the reward. When we go about our business of sowing, inevitably we will come across those who are ready for harvesting, those whose heart have been planted and, and groomed and ready, and God will use us to reap even though we did not sow a seed or water the ground or did we dig up the soil. Thus the principle of sowing where we have not reaped, and reaping where we have not sowed is understood. On that great day when the books are open and all of the earthly deeds are revealed, there will be no distinction between those who sow the seed and those who get to reap the harvest. For we will all take joy and we will all be rewarded for we have shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. My friends... You may not get to go on a mission field. You may not get an opportunity to go to a, a people group that has never heard the gospel. But you have opportunity to pray for and to give to and to be a part of. And therefore you need to understand that when we as a church and we as a, a, as a body of believers give to such things as Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and, and our cooperative program, we are reaching people for Christ that we have never spoken to. And when the books are open, you and I will stand before because of the dollars and the cents that we have given, God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because of your great work the kingdom of God grew. And I don't know about you, but knowing that I'm a part of that great work brings about a joy in my heart. So let me talk to you about the last thing today. It is a joyous work. If we look at verse 36, we, we reminded by Jesus how joyful it should be for us to share the gospel. Not only does Jesus tell us soul winning is fulfilling, and not only are we told that it is urgent and that it is a shared work that we do, rather we're sowing the seed or reaping the harvest, but we are assured that it is a joyful work. Winning souls to Jesus Christ is one of the most joyous works that any Christian can be involved in, apart from your own salvation. I have had the joy of going into homes of people in the communities in which I have lived, and share the gospel with them and lead entire families to the Lord. I've had the joys to go on foreign fields where I've never seen these people before and will probably never see them again on this side of eternity, go into their homes and lead people to the Lord. And what a joy it is to know that, that we're sharing the gospel. And there's been times when I've shared the gospel, got, got no response but left those foreign fields and those homes and hope that somebody else will come along and share the gospel with them so that they will come to know the great and mighty Savior that I know. And what a joy it is to know that Jesus has used me and used you and used others to share the gospel. Whether or not someone comes to Christ, the moment that you share the gospel should not be our concern. It should be that we share the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do His work. And we should walk away rejoicing. I have done the will of the Father which sent me. Look at what verse 36 says. So that he who sows and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Jesus is telling his disciples and he's telling us that joy comes to those who are involved in sharing the gospel towards soul winning. 
In the New Testament, there are always and all sorts of varieties of words used to express the idea of joy. But the root word, meaning the, the word rejoice here, conveys the idea of being glad. I am glad that I can be a part of what Jesus has called us to do. In the beginning of time when God created man and woman, it was His intention for them to know the joy of fellowship with Him. However, we know the story in, in Genesis 3, sin, and as we know, has ruined that perfect joy. And until we come into fellowship with God through salvation, we cannot know that joy. But once we do, that joy is renewed in us, and that joy is what we are to share with others. The key to having that joy in the Christian life is to abide in Him, doing what He did, being about His work, allowing Him to live through us, to accomplish His work through us. If Jesus found great joy in fulfilling and seeing others repent and put their faith in Him, should not you and I receive the same joy from sharing the gospel? Are being a part of giving towards others sharing the gospel? Should we not praise the Lord that we are being used of Him for His glory? Should we not be joyful that Christmas is not about the gifts we get under the Christmas tree, but the gift that came from heaven and that we can share with anybody and everybody that we meet? Watch this last video and then I'll close our time together today. For many, For many weeks, weeks, our churches have been unable to have physical gatherings. But by God's mercy, the Church of Jesus Christ continues. The Southern Baptist Convention continues. For 175 years, we have pressed forward together through wars, disasters, plagues, economic downturns, and, and political upheavals. Our effort of proclaiming Christ around the world has never stopped. Your support, your prayers, your gifts, all of us working together as the body of Christ have kept our missionaries on the field over the decades and keeps them there now. God is at work around the world in the most amazing ways, and He is using you, your family, and your church to help your missionaries, our missionaries, as they move forward with the gospel. The Derbyshires partner with churches in the United States to lead mobile clinics all over Thailand using medicine as a means to share the gospel with those who have no other access. Disciples are made and churches are planted. In Kenya, IMB missionary Kristen Lowry believes the very best place for a child is in a family. That is why she is working alongside national Kenyan partners to rescue boys living on the streets. Restore their lives, provide shelter, a trade, physical and spiritual nourishment, and reunite them with their families. The Worthy family has recognized the importance of investing in relationships and in Italian culture, which is why they have planted their lives in Italy for the past 17 years. College students have dropped the term hard places from their vocabulary and are responding to go anywhere in the world where people don't have access to the gospel. 
we, we treasure Jesus and, and his gospel above all. But, but let us remember, remember we are not called to hoard the gospel, but to herald it far and wide. We are, we are not, not called, called to stockpile the gospel, but, but to send it forth to those yet in darkness that they may see the light of Jesus Christ and live. Nothing should thrill us more as a Christian than seeing lost people come to know the Lord. Amen. You are sharing in the work of salvation when you give every Sunday. Or a portion of your giving goes to our cooperative program, which does ministry throughout North Carolina, across the United States, and around the world. But when you give specifically to international missions through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, every dollar that we give goes directly into the hands of missionaries to accomplish the work, to buy the materials, to get to where they need to go, to help them to do the sharing of the gospel. And for every soul that is one on those foreign fields, you are a part of that gospel. So it is that I ask you today to consider to pray about what you will give this year, not just to the local church, but to international missions, as we believe that there is a need for the gospel to go around the world. And Jesus said, until every tribe and every tongue has heard the gospel, he shall not return. And I'm ready for Jesus to return. So let us do what we need to do. Let us give what we can give. And let us pray that God will use it to reach every tongue and every tribe. So please pray what you will give this year to Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. There's one last song that they want to play, and I want you just to, to listen to it before we have our closing time. Josh, they need you. They thought they had it ready. Well, let me just pray with you while they're getting this song ready. Father, as we close our time this morning, prepare, Father, just to hear this closing song. We ask that, Father, that you would stir our hearts to the, the great need that is ever before us. Lord, to be reminded that, Father God, that what we cannot do alone, we can do together through the power of our prayers, through the power of giving, and the power of going. So, Father, would you use us as a church to leave this room, go out today into the mission field, and to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we do all that we can to share the gospel with all that we can this year as we celebrate Christmas together. Lord, lead us now, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Ready? This is for the busted hearts. This is for the question marks. This is for the outcast soul, lost control, no one knows Sing it for the can't go back, sing it for the broken past Sing it for the just found out, life is now upside down If you're looking for hope tonight, raise your
second chance This is for the new romance Singing for the loved in vain Overcame, it's not too late Thank you for worshiping with us today. May the Lord bless you, and may you go out and be bolder. May you go out and share the gospel with the friends and family, using the Christmas time as a great open door of opportunity. May God bless you till we gather together. I'm going to ask that uh, as